Um, when I get in the pool, I chicken fight, you know? Um, when I, I did it as a kid, I do it as an adult, do it with my kids now. You, maybe you know what that looks like. I assume everyone has at least seen a chicken fight, you know? And in a chicken fight, you have to have a loser. A loser is the team that goes down. And when, uh, I, I, it never fails. I've watched this happen numerous times, but sometimes the person who's on the shoulders is so, so focused on fighting and winning that they viciously fight against you know, their opponent, and then they go down. But they didn't notice that they've locked their legs around their base. And when they go underwater, they're unknowingly holding their base underwater. And, you know, it's, it's funny how you never have to convince someone who's being held underwater of their need for air when they're held against their will. You know what I'm saying? When they get held underwater like that against their will, all of a sudden their body goes, hey, you can't breathe under here. And they'll start viciously fighting to get up and to get that person off of them. I say that to say this. Today, we're going to cover a passage that's pretty age-old when it comes to the church. If you've been in church for any number of time, then you've probably heard the passage we're going to look at today. But I need you to fight. I need you to fight to hear this passage. How many of you have ever come into a church setting ever, maybe just one time in your life, and you've been distracted by other things going on in your life? And so you kind of miss that moment, and that moment gets stolen. So I need to fight to hear what this text is actually saying us, to us, and I also need us to do this. I need us to fight so that we can do something about it. Because the world around us, the international world of believers, those in other parts of the world, not in North America, have started to believe that the U.S. church is drowning, and it's allowing itself to. They have a need for Jesus, but like like that one who's being held against their will underwater will fight because they know they need air, we've just given up. In fact, those that are considered at one point the most dark, the least reached for the gospel, are now spending missionary budgets and training missionaries to send them back to the U.S. because the church of Jesus in the U.S. needs Jesus and his correction. In fact, Mark Powers wrote it in 2014 that America may just be the largest mission field in the world today. He said, here, here's what he said. He says, here's how we know that we're falling short of God's call to make disciples who make disciples in America. Because polls report right now in 2014 that on average only three out of every 100 church members in the U.S. will ever in their lifetime share their faith. Ever. And of those three, only one will do it more than one time. We're the only, we're the only continent in the world where Christianity, in comparison to its population, is in decline. That between 2007 and 2012, they saw the, what they call the religiously unaffiliated percentage in America, those namely under 30, is a vast majority of this, moved from 15% to 20% in just five years. It, it exploded. And that was in 2012. That was eight years ago. It says that we have become, in North America, the third largest populace of unbelievers in the world, only behind China and India. So Mark Power says this, Those of us who love the church should be shocked. These facts should tell us that North America is no longer the main mission, missionary sending continent in the world, but rather has become the main mission field to today's world. Nations once considered by American Christians to be primary mission fields are now sending missionaries to us because all around us, are those who have a knowledge of a relationship with God through Jesus, but yet in, do not have one. They have a knowledge of a relationship through God, through Jesus, but yet do not have said relationship. Dean and Sarah 
wrote this in his book. He was talking about when he came out of seminary, he went to seminary in his graduating class, he had a friend who was being called to a darkened part of the world to plant churches. But Dean and Sarah himself had just accepted a pastorate to go back to a part of, the, of America that was heavily saturated with churches, much like our own. And, you know, they came out of seminary both fired up and excited, but Dean quoted this term. He said, I felt as I was talking to my friend who's going to risk his life in this uncharted area and he's going to plant churches, I felt missional insecurity. And so I made this joke about, well, at least we have sweet tea. And he stopped me. He stopped me from joking. He, he lovingly rebuked me and said, where I'm going, Dean, people know that they're not Christians. The starting point is clear. Where unbelief, secularism, some sort of humanistic spirituality, doesn't matter what it is. They don't know Jesus and they don't want Jesus. Doesn't matter what the, the issue is, they have a starting point that is clear. However, where you are going, everyone already thinks they're a Christian. It's like you have to get people lost so they can see their need to be saved. This morning, we're turning into the last chapter, the last eight verses of James. And I love this book because the narrative of James is this, that we need Jesus. Specifically, the narrative of this first chapter, James. What we've learned so far is that a couple weeks ago, we learned how we're to respond to our trials. And last, we looked at how we're to respond to temptation. Today, James is going to tell us we have to know how to respond accurately and appropriately to truth when revealed to us by Jesus. And he instructs and says that we have to be teachable, that God alone was right and we were wrong, that we have to allow him to perform surgery within us like we talked about last week, that we have to take joy and allow him to sift the old nature from the new like we talked about two weeks ago. And in the end, we have to change. We have to change into his likeness. We have to cling to Jesus so much so that we find life in him alone and we know that he is our source that sustains us. We must realize there's life to be found nowhere else. When Jesus was talking to hundreds of people who were following him in John 6, and he said, to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross and follow me. You have to be willing to die. You have to be willing to take your agenda, your will, and put it aside and choose mine. And they said, it says that they left him in droves. And in John 68, he turns around, John 6, 68, turns around and it's just the 12 standing there. And he says, will you also leave? It says, Peter responded and said, to where can we go? Your words alone have life. And this is what James wants us to grasp today. It's revealing that we have a need for him and we can only be fulfilled by Jesus alone. Nothing ultimately satisfies or sustains us. Nothing else. See, all else are just cheap and temporary band-aids. We were created for him and by him, and our mission as the church of Jesus, the big C, is to not only find our fulfillment in him, but it's to help the world know that they alone are fulfilled by him. It's to know him and to make him known. And James is mentioning that as disciples, we continue, like we talked about last week, to cheapen the revelation of God by, by staying on the surface. Talking about temptations and trials, we've got to get beneath the surface, stop medicating ourselves and by seeking life in what the world provides. Like the things that ultimately will never fulfill us. Like we talked about last week. We can't look for life in pie or porn or pride. These things steal from us. And when we ignorantly choose these things instead of choosing to ultimately be fulfilled by Jesus. We are being robbed. We are being robbed. And James says we have to acknowledge and accept this truth to be revealed by him. That our need is to be fulfilled by Jesus alone. And it starts with a revelation of this truth, 
that he will reveal himself by his spirit in the scriptures. So we have to acknowledge and accept this need. That's the first point I want you to write down. We have to acknowledge and accept this need. That we have to receive him. We cannot reject the truth that we need Jesus. And we have to ask for discernment through prayer on how to respond to Jesus and the things that he reveals to us. Jesus said it like this, that you should pray without ceasing. James giving this challenge is incredibly unique because if you remember, James, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, was the half-brother of Jesus, grew up in his own household, knew him, knew his scent. And he did not believe in Jesus as Messiah until after he reveals himself to him after the resurrection. Paul records this in 1 Corinthians 15. We pointed out that he specifically responds and reveals himself to James for this purpose because he had a specific call on James' life. But before that point, James denied that Jesus was the Messiah. So James saying this to us is saying this simply. We have to be teachable because I myself had to be teachable. I knew his scent. I was in the same household as him, and I denied him. Do not miss Jesus. And he says this, Peter had it right. I have learned that his words alone have life. There's no life to be found anywhere but in the word and person of Jesus. So do not miss him. I had to be teachable. So listen for me, verse uh, 19 of James 1. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. We cannot know how to respond to him, Jesus, if we do not fully accept that we have a need for him. James is saying prayer is more about listening than it is about speaking. And we have to be willing to ask his spirit to teach us. So we have to be willing to close our lips and hear. James says it's hard to listen when you're continually the one talking. And so he says it's also, hear his, it's also really difficult to hear his instruction from the scriptures. If you, don't, if you open it, you don't pray, you don't ask for the spirit to reveal these things to you. It's also really difficult if you're to pray without ceasing, even when in conversation with friends or other church members, and you're not listening really well to hear their need. Because second grace commandment was their needs are more important than your own. And so it is really hard to hear God's instruction really hard to hear the needs of others when we are quick to our own defense. I'll explain that in a second. That God will always speak through his scripture, through our circumstances, through his church, and through prayer by his spirit, like internal conviction. You've probably experienced that if you have been in the Lord for a while. But the question is, what and how do we respond when God speaks? Like, what does our response look like? Do we respond in anger because of what Jesus says to us and its offense to us? See, this is the context of the word angry here by James. He says, God will speak to you continually. He will try to reveal himself to you. But we have to ask, is our response to him in anger? Because we don't want to accept what he has for us. We get angry at what he says to us. How many of you have been in the church for a while? How many of you have ever at one time, any time, had Jesus say something that you personally did not like? Okay, that's going to happen. 
This is the anger that James is referring to here. Anger from the truth of the word that displeases us. And the test of our response to what God says is, says a lot about ourselves. It reveals a bit of our authenticity in our faith or the lack thereof. If we respond angry and easily offended to God and what he says to us, ultimately rejecting his revelation about our own self-centeredness, about our own flaws, our own sin, maybe it's a little less direct and a little more passive. Maybe you say this, well, I've heard, Justin, don't be a, just a hearer only, be a doer also. I've heard that my whole life. So that's not for me. That's for someone else. That's for someone younger, you know, less mature, someone who doesn't know. Can I ask you something? That scripture hasn't changed in centuries. So is it not telling that when you passively dismiss it or blow it off, doesn't that tell you something scary about yourself? And doesn't it reveal possibly, possibly, a counterfeit faith? If we continually, in our arrogance, reject the things that he reveals to us and do nothing with them, we have to ask ourselves, are we actually, in fact, his? James says, rid yourself of all filth. Again, it's a picture of that impurity going back to the start of James where we talked two weeks ago, where heating up precious metal makes the impurities rise to the top and you scoop them away. The word here that he uses is ruparia. It's referring to moral filth. It carries with it a connotation. The context is one of like wax buildup in the ear. So he says, you have to be willing to remove the wax built up in your ear. And that wax for us may be distractions of things we have to do, have to get done, um, where we're going to eat after this, go to lunch, uh, the, the litany of things that need to be accomplished in our lives, the, the lack of money in the bank account, whatever it is that could steal this moment for you. He says, you have to remove that wax from your ears so that you can hear clearly, you can understand, and you can respond. That, that wax that he's talking about makes it really difficult to understand what God is trying to say clearly to us without serious barrier to the word of truth. And so, conversely, he says, if you respond humbly, receive the word given to you because you've heard it and you're responding. You have a reaction. They ask for us, knowing that he alone is the one who saves. He alone, his words are the one that give life like Peter says. Let me ask you this. In Scripture and throughout history, every time Jesus spoke, his disciples find his revelation refreshing. It may be hard to hear, but they find his rebuke merciful. John 10, 27, he said this of himself. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. His rebuke doesn't mean that it won't come with a little bit of pain. How many of you have ever been pained by what the Lord has said to you about yourself before? It doesn't mean it's not going to be painful, but it will be worth it. I could do a joke about no pain, no gain, and weightlifting, but why? You know? I think we get it. James' appeal for us as the believers to see, need to seize every opportunity we can to increase our exposure to Scripture and to hunger for it. To hear what God says. To take advantage of every opportunity to read it for ourselves or to hear it preached. Or taught. A true mark of a believer is their desire for the scriptures and Jesus' revelation within. People who know and love the Lord seek Him when they're blessed and they turn to scriptures of praise. 
They seek the Scriptures for comfort and strength when they are troubled. They seek the Scriptures and wise counsel and guidance when they're confused or uncertain. Any true believer seeks deliverance not solely from this pained life, but they turn and find deliverance unto Him. He doesn't just call us away from the thing we're struggling with. He always calls us to Himself. So we talked about last week. And then once we have a word from Him, He does expect us to do something with it. He expects us to respond to it. So James 1, the verse we've been waiting on. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. So the second point is, he says, act on this need. What is the act we have to take? What is the act we need to do? When God reveals something about you, what do we do? He says, repent. We have to change and repent of this sin, this self-centeredness that he reveals. And to do that, we have to ask for his discernment on what and how and when and where to act. We do not simply consume. He says, don't be deceived that it is okay to hear the truth, yet change nothing about your life. The word hearer here is a specific Greek word. It is akaroetis. I always mess this word up. Akaroetis. And what it means is this. It's someone who passively listens at a show. Someone who passively listens to a speaker or singer at a show. In converse, he uses the word doer or poietis, which is all of one's personal being, soul, mind, and emotions. So he makes this distinction. There are people that attend, and there are people that show up, and they go through it. But he says, I'm not talking when I say doer of someone who just did the act. I'm not asking for someone who gave a couple days to a couple battles and for, for you know, a few of their moment, like momentarily in their life. I'm not asking for someone who engaged in civil battle or conflict that was armed for a moment. What I'm looking for, when I say hearer and doer, I'm looking for someone who is entirely different. That like Instead of just showing up in a moment for armed conflict, you became a professional soldier whose life is all about looking for and is dedicated to warfare. Someone who's completely consumed by it. And so if we can accept that God is perfect, church, and that we are not, then why would we think that measured next to him, our biblical standard, we'd never have anything to repent of? When God reveals to you, the God-offending ways that are within you. He expects us to repent of those. He doesn't accept it. He doesn't think it's cool for us to know the truth and do nothing about it. As disciples, which is our call and our mission, he's not asking us to fill in as a sub in an occasional Sunday school class or to make occasional repairs masquerading ourselves as handymen. He desires for his church and this is all of us. This isn't just prayed professionals who stand behind pulpits. This is all of us to become divinely gifted teachers of his word and master builders of a professional grade. Why? Because we crave his word, find truth in his word, know it sustains, and whatever it says, we do. And for those, those hearers that he was talking about a moment ago who think like this, just continue to phone it in. Showing up, hearing, attending passively, 
with arms crossed, waiting to be impressed, much like, much like a Nashville musician going to a show. You know what I'm talking about, right? All the musicians do. All right, impress me. You know? I need to, I need to point this out to us, church. When we are his people, showing up, responding to him like this, we're not responding to the church, we're not even responding to the preacher, we're responding to the God of the universe and saying, impress me. When you didn't come to change because you see no need to change, and God himself cannot convince you, church, that is terrifying. So, here's what we need to consider. John 15 says, we have to abide. Those that love him find their fulfillment within him. So when they're blessed, they seek scriptures of praise. When they are troubled, they seek scripture of comfort and strength. When they're confused or uncertain, they seek scriptures of wise counsel and guidance. When they're tempted or tried, they seek scripture of deliverance. The true believer will find refuge in him alone like a toddler clinging to their parents. The question is, is your search contrary to the search of those who truly love him? When you're blessed, who do you seek? The scriptures or Instagram? Do you seek him or do you seek others? When you're truly blessed, do you pick up the Bible to seek scripture of praise or do you get on social media to tell everyone about your exceptional life in a socially acceptable way? When you are feeling troubled, do you turn to the scriptures or do you turn to your bank account and your 401k? When you are confused or uncertain, do you turn to the scriptures or do you turn on Fox News or CNN or some other media platform that is governed by a darkened world, more concerned about agenda and ratings than they are your godly advice? Because James says in 126, something really important, the last two verses of this passage, the end of this chapter, he says this, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues to see themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the widows and the orphans in distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Verse 27, he gives us away the how and the why we are to care for the most needy among us and as a reminder of how needy of him we are ourselves. Jesus came to us and he's sending us to them. Here's what he's saying. We have to beware of anyone who's quick to speak, who wants an audience and wants people to hear them. That's more about them and their agenda than it is about Jesus. When they're more concerned about being seen themselves than they are about people seeing him, we need to be concerned. To help ourselves with that process, church, he says you need to spend time with those who know they need him. A practical expression of a life change of Jesus is the care and compassion for those in deepest distress. Those who cannot feed themselves. Those who cannot clothe themselves. Who cannot provide shelter for themselves. He goes, they understand their need. And we see ourselves in them. That we were just as needy. That we could never save ourselves. And so this keeps us unstained from the world that pollutes itself by thinking that you can find fulfillment in status or in riches or even in empty religion. So he says, if you desire to walk as mine, then remind yourself on a regular basis that you need me. The question this morning is this, where's your attention most? Church, where do you spend most of your time? With those who are in need? Or is your time most spent on what you 
most next desire. This morning, I'm going to ask the band to come back, and the question comes from a really important place. Because what we do with what Jesus says to us becomes unimportant if we do not want the person of Jesus more than what Jesus either can do for us or desires from us. If we don't just simply want the person of Jesus and know that our need is in him alone and we're filled by him alone, then the rest is really unimportant. So I'm going to bring that slide back up if I can. Those that love him and find their fulfillment in him, when they're blessed, they seek the scriptures. When they're troubled, they seek comfort in the scriptures. When they're confused, they seek guidance from the scriptures. When they're tempted, they seek deliverance from the scriptures. Can I ask you a question, church, today as we respond to him? And I'm about to pray for you. Here's the question. When facing these things, where do you turn? To him or elsewhere? Father, this morning we know that you gave us Jesus as the healer and ultimate fulfillment and sustainment for, our, sustainment for our life. We know that in him alone, we have life. So God, I pray that you'd forgive us this morning. When you find your church seeking cheap inversions of what you provided for us in Jesus, right now we respond to him. As this song is sung as a prayer over us, God, we pray you find a church obedient to hear your word and respond to it. Whatever you call for us to repent of, We'll be obedient to do it because we know you love us and desire for us to find fulfillment and sustaining in him. We ask this in Jesus' name this morning. Amen.